Sim. Story from my holidays. Uh, we went to San Diego um, this year. This was our, our year for a big trip. So we went over to California, sunny uh, California. We did all the things that you do when you do that kind of uh, trip. We went to the beach. We ate out. We did lots of different things. And uh, one of the highlights was going to a baseball game. I've always wanted to go to a baseball game, uh, see, see a stadium, do the whole thing. And so we uh, took ourselves off. Uh, to go and watch the uh, San Diego Padres, which is the big uh, baseball team in San Diego. In the centre of uh, San Diego, there's a massive stadium. It's right in the heart of the city, and uh, you can see it from, from miles around. And so we, we booked our tickets, uh, got the kids in the car, and headed off to go and uh, watch the baseball game. As we got closer to the stadium, uh, we, we couldn't find out where we were supposed to park. We knew there was uh, reserved parking for, for people who were going to the game, but we couldn't find it. We went this way, we went that way, followed the signs, followed the directions of the police, but, 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 but couldn't find it. And all the time we were on this journey, we are circling around uh, this stadium. And it is an amazing stadium. I've, I've been in some really wonderful sports stadiums over the years, and this, this was uh, fantastic. It's one of those uh, stadiums which is, is brand new. Um, it's all kind of that kind of shiny concrete and chrome and glass, and it looks like a UFO that has just kind of landed down in the middle of the, middle of the city. And so we're driving around, and the kids are getting a bit more anxious as we're trying to work out uh, where we park. And in the end, we decided to abandon, abandon the plan, forget the special car park, just drive off, find somewhere to park, and then we will walk to the stadium. So we, we park our car. And then we're walking uh, towards the stadium. And of course, we parked, we parked where you're not really supposed to park. And we're walking down the streets uh, that the tourist board of San Diego don't really want you walking down. I remember we turned this corner. And all the time, we've got the stadium ahead of us. We're following the bright lights. And we turn this corner. And suddenly, we find ourselves on a street that is full of tents. And we walk along the sidewalk, and for about, for about two blocks, we must have passed about 200 tents. Uh, homeless people living on the streets, living in cardboard boxes, little, little signs, uh, begging for change as we walk along. We can hear just a few blocks away, literally two blocks away, we can hear the crowds thronging uh, for the match, the game. We know where we want to be, but we've got to get there. And we literally step over homeless people as we head to the stadium. You pull the kids a little bit closer in. Uh, You look straight ahead. You don't make eye contact. You just check that your phone is secure in your back pocket and your wallet is safe in your pants. And then you, you turn the corner And there, to your relief, there's a policeman, and there's lots of stewards, and there's people saying candy floss and popcorn, and there's the smell of burgers, and there's the the bright lights, and the music are playing, and you think, oh, I'm safe. I'm safe at last. And we enjoy the game, and all through the game, I'm thinking, I wonder if there's a different way we can walk back to the car. I'm sure you've had a, a similar experience. If not, if not in this city, then certainly somewhere else. It's to read to us a story that Jesus uh, tells. We've been um, 
reading and listening to some uh, wonderful stories over the last um, couple of weeks. And Jesus, Jesus is a fantastic storyteller. I think it's one of the things that I find really attractive about him and, and really brings the scriptures alive for me when I read them. These, these are stories to warm our hearts. These are stories to encourage us. These are stories uh, to comfort us. And we've had some of those stories over the last uh, couple of weeks. We've had the, the lost coin and the woman who, who searches for that coin. Um, we've had the shepherd who goes hunting uh, for, the, for the sheep that he can't find, and then he finds it and he throws it over his shoulder and he brings it home. We've had the story of the two lost sons and, and the uh, father who waits longing for, longingly for the, the one who's far off to come home and the one who's near to discover who he truly is. These are the stories that we remember, that we tell our children, that we, we, we build our all-age services about, that our children do colouring sheets in, in Sunday school, and they come home and tell us these wonderful stories. But these aren't the only stories that Jesus tells. Sometimes Jesus tells disturbing stories. Sometimes Jesus tells unsettling stories. Sometimes Jesus tells us stories to shake us up and to wake us up and to alarm us. This, this morning, is one of those stories. If you want to follow, it's on page uh, 1050. It's Luke uh, chapter 16. I'm going to start reading at verse 19. Jesus says this. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Now there's... There's a a passage for a Sunday morning. Probably not one I'm going to use for an all-age service, to be honest. The dogs came and licked at his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus at his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to here. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will also not come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. 
No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Are you feeling a little bit uncomfortable? Are you feeling a little bit disturbed? Are you feeling a little bit unsettled? What is Jesus doing here? Why is he telling this story? And what does this story mean for us today? Well, this is a story of contrast. And let's look at some of those uh, contrasts first of all. There's a, there's a contrast between uh, the two central characters of this story, uh, the rich man and Lazarus. Let's look at the rich man first. Verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. A couple of important details first. He's clothed in purple. As a vicar, there's certain colours of uh, shirt that I can wear, and there's one colour that I can't wear. I can wear yellow, I can wear green, I can wear black, I can wear blue. But there's one colour that's forbidden for me to wear. I cannot wear purple. Why? Because purple is reserved for a certain type of cleric. It's reserved for bishops. Only bishops can wear a purple shirt, and sometimes when we've had them uh, visiting here, they've been wearing their purple shirt, and very nice they look too. Why purple? Well, purple is the colour of royalty. Purple is the colour for rulers, and a bishop is one who rules, who leads, who directs uh, the church. He's my boss. He's the one who gives directions. He's the one who gives orders. In Jesus' day, uh, a purple dye was the most expensive dye. If you were going to dye clothes uh, purple, you had to get really rare ingredients. They only came from shellfish. You had to mix them together in a certain way, and you produced a purple cloth. If you remember in the book of Acts, there's a a wealthy businesswoman called Lydia, who is a seller just of purple cloth. She's a a luxury goods uh, merchant. She'd fit in really well in West Bridgeford. (laughs) Might open a new little boutique for us somewhere. When Jesus was crucified, the soldiers mockingly wrapped a purple cloak around him, saying, what kind of king are you really? The rich man, he wears uh, fine linen. He wears expensive clothes, only the very best for this man. And he feasts every day. Feasting is synonymous with a special occasion or, or a special event. Uh, many of you today, I suspect, are going to go home and you're going to have uh, roast chicken or roast lamb or a roast dinner. You're going to have your, your Sunday roast. You're going to have friends around or family and you're going to uh, celebrate. But you don't, you don't do that at dinner time every day. Perhaps yesterday you had a nice big cooked breakfast, but you, you don't have a cooked breakfast every day. A feast is for special occasions. But this guy... This guy, he feasts sumptuously every day. It's Christmas every day in this man's house. And at the bottom of his garden, there is a gate. He has a big garden, he has a big house, and he has a big gate. And sitting at his gate, there is Lazarus. And Lazarus is covered in sores. 
He's so destitute. He's so poor. He has nothing. Even the dogs come and feed upon him. The rich man has ample opportunity to care for Lazarus at his gate, but he doesn't. Has ample opportunity to relieve his suffering, but he doesn't. He's got plenty of time to clothe him and feed him and provide him with shelter, but he doesn't. One is clothed in purple, the other is clothed in sores. One lives in a big, a big house with a gate, the other sleeps on the sidewalk. This is a story of contrasts. And the contrast continues after death. But there's a great reversal that goes on. Jesus continues the comparison and he continues the contrast. But look how things have switched around. No longer does Lazarus suffer, but he dies. And the angels fly down from heaven and they, they pick him up before he falls to the ground and they, they carry him up to Abraham, uh, the father of the Jews, and he's in his comfort. He rests his head upon his breast, he's uh, in his bosom. He never had a home before and now he lives in a castle. He'd never eaten properly before and now he feasts. His only companions have been wild dogs and now angels attend him. Lazarus is receiving his eternal inheritance. And the rich man, he receives his eternal inheritance too. Jesus loves to uh, turn the tables. He turned the tables in the temple and he turns the tables in this story. The one who suffered greatly now feasts daily. The one who feasts daily now is in torment and is in hell. This is a parable to disturb us. This is a parable to shock us. This is a parable to uh, challenge us. Who is Jesus telling this parable to? Remember his audience for the story of the lost coins? It's the Pharisees. Remember his audience for the story of the lost uh, uh, sons? It was the Pharisees. Verse uh, 14. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. Jesus is telling stories of comfort and hope, of how the lost can be found. And the Pharisees who are self-sufficient and self-righteous and smug sneer at him. And Jesus says, I have a story for you. Let me tell you about a rich man. This is a story of a man who is lost and who is lost completely. This is a story of what it means to be irrevocably lost. Four things about the rich man. The first is this. He has everything and he has nothing. He lives for himself and is consumed by his passions. This man has satiated his every desire. He's lived for himself. He's satisfied all of his whims. 
As Abraham says to him, in your life you received your good things. He had everything he desired, everything he chose. His good things in life were his wealth and his clothes and his home and his feasting. He's lived the life he wanted. He's made every choice he could possibly want. And now he must live by the consequences of those choices. He's consumed everything he could. And he himself has been consumed. He's not refused himself anything. And in doing so, he himself has diminished. He could have given alms to the poor, but he didn't. He could have fed Lazarus at his table, but he didn't. He could have taken his wealth and his home and everything he had, and he could have offered them to God and put them at his service, but he didn't. This is a story, it's a parable, and what Jesus is saying in, our parable, in this parable is if we don't get our, our passions in their proper place, they will consume us. If we don't get a handle on the things that are important to us in our life, they will destroy us. I think of this parable, and I think of uh, those documentaries you've seen by people who, um, uh, they get obsessed by something and it, and it takes over their lives. Um, have a bit of plastic surgery, they want to be perfect, so they, they have a tweak, and then, then they want to be a little bit more beautiful, and they have another tweak, and another tweak, and another tweak, and then, and then you see them after kind of 20 years of plastic surgery after plastic surgery after plastic surgery, and they've, they've become completely defaced. They've, they've kind of vandalized their bodies. They, they look terrible. Jesus tells this story to these Pharisees who are lovers of money, but, and he tells it about a rich man and his wealth, and his wealth consuming him. But it, but it could have been a different story. This could have been a story about a politician who was destroyed by his lust for power. This could have been a story about a, a young woman who was uh, seduced by her desire for a perfect body. It could have been a story about an academic who, who loses himself in intellectual pride. It could have been about a preacher who sells himself for the adoration of the crowds. We all have riches, we all have gifts, we all have abilities. And for each of us, God places a Lazarus at our gates to see what we will do with them. We live for ourselves or for others. We keep our passions in their proper place, or will we let them take us over and destroy us? This is a man too who is absorbed by pride. Pharisees were, were, were self-righteous. They were smug. They sneered at Jesus. They saw no need of him. And this man, even though he is in hell, he still has an incredible hubris about him. There's still a pride that is there. In fact, everything about him has been uh, diminished, has sort of dissolved away, except uh, his pride. He's in hell, he's in torment, he, he's in the fire, if you like. Imagine Dante's uh, Inferno, and he, and he looks up and he sees Abraham and he sees Lazarus, and, and what does he do? Well, he... He does what rich people do. He does what people who are consumed by pride do. He says, Abraham, send Lazarus and get him to do a job for me. Send him out of paradise. Send him down to hell. 
get him to dip his finger in some water and, and just give me a drop of water. That's all I need, that's all I want. Just, just send him. This is a man who in all his life has ordered people around. He just has to say it, he just has to snap his fingers and people do it. And in extremis, in the worst possible kind of need, in hell, in torment, what does he do? He issues a command. Send this man to serve me. This is a man who is absorbed by his pride. This is a man who has no sense of self. Did you notice that the poor man is named and the rich man isn't? Uh, The poor man is is a person and the rich man isn't. He's a a stereotype, he's a a cipher, he's an archetype, he's he's a symbol. This man has no name. And in Jesus' day, if you had no name, you didn't exist. And it's the same for many today, isn't it? You had no name, you have no papers, uh, you don't exist. This man who had everything has nothing. He's become a shade or a, or a shadow. He's lost himself. He's been completely consumed by his love of his wealth. His identity is his wealth. That's who he is. His money and robes and riches and purple and linen and houses and gates. That is who he is. That's how he defines himself. That's how he sees himself. He's everything. He's nothing. He has no name. Lazarus has a name. Do you know what the name Lazarus means? The one whom God helps. Imagine that, sitting in the road, dogs licking your sores, begging for crumbs, and and you've been named the one who God helps. Imagine living with that. Imagine the mockery of that. But there's a great reversal going on. The one who has nothing is the one who's saved. The one who has everything is the one who is condemned. Where do you find your identity? When you peel back the layers of who you are like an onion and you you sort of strip away what's there on the outside, where where do you find your identity? What's your core? What makes you you? What's What's your name? In your heart, in your heart of hearts, who are you? What gives you meaning? What gives you status? What gives you purpose? What gives you uh, a sense of who you are? What gives you that in Bridgeford? I'm the owner of a five-bedroom detached house. I have a BMW. I am a successful mum. My grandchildren are doing really well. We got five A-stars this year. We shop at the right shops. We're known in the community. I have my own business. I've got a watch after 20 years. These are all fine things. nothing wrong with any of them. But are you more than that? Or is that all you are? Is that the sum? of who you are. This man has no name, he has no sense 
of self. Because we find out who we really are in relation to God. We discover who we really are in relation to Christ. One Pharisee became a follower of Jesus. One Pharisee, his eyes were open and and he could see. His name was Saul and he changed his name to Paul. He was given a new name. And he writes to the church in Colossae in the letter to the Colossians, all things were made through Christ and all things were made for Christ. You and those who you love were made through Christ and were made for Christ. And you discover who you really are in relation to him. And fourthly, this man is consumed by his riches. This man who has no sense of uh, self. Uh, This man who has everything and yet has nothing. He cannot be saved. He cannot be delivered. He cannot be rescued. The gulf is fixed. His fate is sealed. It's not that God is unwilling to save him, but his heart has been hardened that it it can't be softened. C.S. Lewis famously said, Hell is a locked room and the key is on the inside. So he turns his attention to his brothers. And he's still issuing orders. Send Lazarus to my brothers. The answer comes from Abraham. Well, they have Moses and the prophets. They have the, they have the scriptures. And even if they don't understand those, we'll, we'll, we'll send Lazarus from the, from the dead. Well, okay, well, we could. But even if someone rises from the dead, still, uh, your brothers, they won't turn around. Pharisees would read the book of Moses and prophets, what we call the Old Testament, every day, several times a day, and yet their hearts are hardened and so their their eyes are closed and their ears are stopped. Surely if someone were to rise from the dead, surely then they would follow them. Surely then they would be saved. Well, there was one who rose from the dead. And some did but many didn't. This is a story. It's a disturbing story. It's a challenging story. It's a story that worms around in your brain and you come back to again and again and again. But it's not the final story. And it's not the end of the tale. It comes towards the end of Luke's Gospel, but there is more yet to come. The one who tells this story is Jesus. And of course, Jesus will die. And Jesus will rise from the dead. The end of the story is Luke chapter 24. And there we see two disciples. I don't know, maybe they were Pharisees. And they're walking away from Jerusalem. They're on the way to Emmaus. They're talking about everything that happened they're talking about Jesus and his teaching and his, and his death and the rumours that he's alive. And one walks among them and they don't, they don't recognise who he is. 
And he asks them what they're talking about. And they say, well, we're talking about Jesus and we're, we're explaining what's, what's going on. And the one who walks with them, the Lord Jesus, says, that's interesting. He said to them, did not the Christ have to suffer and then enter into glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Then they got up at once and ran to Jerusalem. They found the eleven assembled together saying, it is true, the Lord is risen and has appeared to us. Jesus was recognized by them when he broke bread with them. Where is your identity? What makes you you? Who do you live for? What gives your life meaning and purpose? It's too late for our rich man, but it's not too late for us. The rich man has no name, but you can receive a new name. Jesus delights to give new beginnings, fresh starts, a new identity. Peter the waverer becomes Peter the rock. Levi the thief becomes Matthew the tax collector. In the breaking of bread, eyes are opened. In the sharing of the scriptures, hearts are warmed. Book of Revelation, chapter 2, we have another picture of heaven, a picture of glory. And there it says that all those who overcome, all those who persevere, are given a new name, a new identity, an identity that's found in Christ. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Come to me, all you who are hungry. And we close our service this morning with communion. And as we take communion together, we feed on Christ. We ask him to open our eyes that we might see him in the, in the breaking of bread, just as we uh, understand more of him through the sharing of the scriptures. As you receive today, ask him to open your eyes to warm your hearts, to give you a new sense of who he is. Invite him to begin again with you. Open the door and let him in. In the name of Christ, amen.